We do think Canada does look, um, let's say over the next year or so, as very attractive. It's not just the exposures to those sectors, but also the valuations. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. In 2020, it made sense that U.S. equities dominated Canadian portfolios. However, with valuations skyrocketing south of the border, is it time for advisors to consider a new mix? In this episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney and Matt Montemuro, along with your host Mark Rays, talk about prudent exposures that are geared for gains amid current valuations and a reopening economy. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Canada weekly ETF call. We're joined with our team of experts to discuss ETF strategies, trade ideas, uh, and positioning around the market. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product uh, covering mutual funds and ETFs. We're joined today by two PMs, Chris McKaney and Matt Montemuro. Chris is responsible for equity strategies and derivative strategies while Matt works on our fixed income ETFs. Well, let's get started. Uh, we'll start with equity markets, which of course continue to do very well. Uh, but unlike 2020, we've seen the Canadian market outpace the U.S. Considering the success we know of the new economy names down in the U.S., is this just a reversion trade or do you actually see more opportunity here in Canada? How would you approach adding Canadian exposure if you're constructive on our home market or the reverse, um, if you wanted to stay more with the U.S., do you see that as a continuing overweight? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And certainly, uh, as you say, equity markets do continue to rally and you know, Canada being one of the main drivers of that uh, recently. I think there's, there's two things that are going on in you know, last summer and, and into the fall Obviously, we saw a lot of those, what, what you're calling the new economy names doing well in the U.S. We've seen a, a rapid uh, increase in adoption of uh, digital tools, for example, and the companies that were already positioned to benefit from that did so very much. But I think, you know, starting in around November, once we started getting news of vaccines, a rotation really started happening in the market um, moving towards those stocks and companies that would potentially benefit from economies in the world, uh, not just in North America, but in the world re reopening and, and getting back to quote unquote normal. Um, ho however, that's going to look And Canada is certainly, uh, well, at, you know, largely, um, you know, the commodity complex, which Canada has a lot of and offers a lot of, is really tied to global economic growth. And as economies grow globally, um, the commodities market should benefit from that, not just oil, but certainly oil, you know, metals as well. I think copper is at almost a 10-year high right now. And oh, by the way, oil is back to $60 a barrel. Um, and so we have seen significant growth in the prices of some of these commodities. 
And so, you know, companies are, are benefiting from that through their stock price uh, appreciation as well. So, you know, in terms of how I would approach that, um, you know, I, I really think the benchmark makes a lot of sense. ZCN to get exposure to Canada, um, the, the TSX composite, because it does give you exposure to those commodities. You know, energy and materials have a, have a decent weight there, but also financials and actually um, IT as well are, are well represented in that index. And so you're you're getting a nice broad um sector approach to that reopening trade. It's not all in commodities. It's not all energy and oil. Um, certainly they will benefit, but you know, financials and banks should benefit from that as well. So we think it makes sense to have a, a, a decent dose of, of, of that exposure also. And certainly IT is a, is a growing part of the Canadian market. Um, it's not just Shopify, although that is a big part of it, um, but there are other companies under there like Constellation Software, CGI, um, and others. And so you're getting, again, a nice dose of uh, a, a little bit of sector diversification when you buy that broad market. Um, in terms of how that looks relative to the U.S., you know, we do think Canada does look, um, let's say, over the next year or so as very attractive. It's not just the exposures to those sectors, but also the valuations as, you know, the, 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 some of those names in the U.S. really started rallying. Valuations did really start to get stretched, and you see, you see that in a couple of spots in the U.S. So valuation a little bit better in Canada, but certainly overall we think the U.S. is still a, a very good place to be because of the diversification of um, not just sectors, but companies within sectors as well um, that have a lot of leverage to reopening um, uh, trades as well. And so we do think it makes sense to stay with maybe a little bit of a U.S. overweight, um, but certainly not as much as uh, we would have uh, practiced in the past. I think maybe taking a little bit off the top there and reducing that U.S. overweight um, from whatever uh, areas you had makes a little sense because, again, of uh, valuations a, a little bit, but also the opportunities that, that Canada and some of the other um, economies provide. And so I think taking a little bit of that U.S. overweight, putting it back into Canada where previously maybe investors might have been underweight, you know, bringing that back up to sort of that neutral allocation to Canadian equities as, again, 2021, I think is going to be um, some pretty big numbers in terms of overall growth in Canada, in U.S. and globally. And Canada is, is very well positioned to, to take advantage of that. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And that's that's really the joy of ETFs, the ability with a single ticket to immediately shift that portfolio exposure uh, across markets, whether that's broad beta factor or some other way. So Matt, let's, uh, let's go your way now. Uh, we're seeing a steepening of the yield curve. Uh, the 10 year here in Canada has now climbed up through 1%. What's triggering this steepening move? And with yields being as low as they are, how would you address uh, this rising yield concern using our bond ETFs? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, to start 2021, we've definitely seen some significant steepening on the yield curve. Uh, Ten-year ten to two-year spread has jumped to 85 basis points, uh, a level, level that we really haven't seen since early 2017. And then since the start of the year, as you mentioned, Canada and U.S. 10 years have jumped 45 to and 50 basis points, respectively. You know, with rates that are locked at near zero levels in the front end, um, the market, sorry, in the front end and the market anticipating no real rate increases, you know, until a, at a minimum 2022, 
you know, this kind of is a, is a unique uh, situation. So, you know, what's caused that steepening? Uh, I think the rise has really been caused by that anticipation of inflation. I think that's been the hot topic for several weeks now. Uh, inflation break-evens right now are significantly or, or do significantly outweigh current CPI levels, uh, indicating that the market expects significant inflationary pressures going forward. Uh, you know, I think this is the main driver of this deepening. Uh, you know, that paired with you know continued optimism about the economy reopening, you know, that should help unemployment. That should help kickstart consumption significantly. And I think that's why we're seeing the rapid uh, steepening that we've seen to start 2021. When looking at this steepening and how to kind of play this, uh, I, I think it's important to look at this move from a total portfolio perspective and not solely just from a fixed income lens. You know, I think equity market volatility continues to be above, you know, our historical norms uh, and fixed income market volatility is on the rise as well. You know, so when I when I look at the equity market and, and I think there are some concerns about potentially being overvalued, you know, and I consider, you know, yields are inversely correlated to the equity market. You know, I wouldn't want to immediately shorten my duration and kind of provide uh, or, or eliminate some of that backstop that fixed income is to provide on a total portfolio level. So from a portfolio perspective, I think it's still prudent to maintain some duration exposure, really as an equity market hedge. You know, I would look at, at our aggregate product, Zag, uh, as a product that provides some long exposure to protect against that ec potential equity market drawdown. But it also has, gives you exposure to the short-term uh, bond universe, as well as corporate exposure, that can aid if rates do continue to rise in the near term. So you're kind of getting a little bit of everything with that Zag product and providing, you know, that kind of safe way to stabilize your portfolio. Now, given that I think we are close to, you know, near historical highs in the 10 to two year spread, you know, I think there uh, is room for uh, 10 year rates to continue to rise, but I do think there is likely a ceiling on there in the near to midterm. You know, I think it's highly unlikely that we're going to see that 10 to two year spread go, you know, 120, 150 to 2%. I think that's starting to get, you know, outside of the concept, outside of the realm of possibility. So I do think that there is a realm, uh, there, there is a ceiling here um, between these spreads. And I think what we're getting, you know, close to it. I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're getting close to it. So I think that should give you some comfort in uh, taking a little bit of duration risk, knowing that, you know, we're not going to be in, in an endless period of steepening. There, there is at some point um, a point where the, the, the curve will start to normalize. So overall, I do think Zag is, is a great exposure that will help stabilize uh, through this kind of uncertain 2021 where, you know, we are getting inflationary pr pressures, we are seeing steepening, but then at the front of the curve, we're seeing, you know, near historic uh, low rates. So I think Zag is a, is a great way as a portfolio stabilizer when looking at a, at a uh, total portfolio context as that equity market hedge and your ability to take advantage and protect yourself. Um, from what the rates market does. Great, thanks for that, Matt. And certainly hard to go wrong with the uh, the broad market exposure. Uh, certainly seeing a lot of advisor interest in using Zag or the like as as core portfolio positions. 
I want to switch gears now uh, and ask about our ESG ETS. We've now got uh, a year under our belts, and we know there's continued buildup of client interest in responsible investing. But from the advisor's perspective, uh, how have they performed, and how has the reception been amongst the advisor crowd? Thanks. Sure, Mark. So I, I can start with that on the on the fixed income side and highlight, uh, you know, what what we've seen in in the ESG suite uh, in in its first year. Uh, you know, we're definitely seeing more inquiries, more interest in terms of ESG. I think you know we're, we're reading all the articles in the news. I think this 2020 and into 2021 is, is the first year you've seen significant assets move uh, toward ESG. And I think um, we're, we're, we're definitely on the recipient of a lot of these conversations. So I think overall, you know, it's been a warm welcome uh, in terms of the ESG products in the space. I think a lot of advisors are looking at ways to either substitute and or complement their current portfolios with ESG so it's not just an on-off switch with ESG. It's how do I layer this into my current portfolio construction, which is, I think, a great way to look at ESG from a total portfolio perspective. Now, when I look at the fixed income side, I see ESGB, which provides corporate exposure in Canada, and ESGF, which provides corporate exposure in the U.S. And those are both full-term. So when looking at their full-term peers, the performance has actually held up quite well during uh, the one year of launch, and you're seeing near market returns for these ESG products, which means you're not giving away you know, much return by putting on these ESG streams. And a, a, an added benefit is that these ESG screens do tend on the fixed income side to add a quality tilt and a quality bias to the underlying universes. So if you are concerned about corporate spreads being where they are, you know, these ESG products might be a good complement as a way to move up the credit move up the credit quality of your portfolio and take advantage of, you know, maybe um, eliminating some of that downside risk that, that you may see. Something else I wanted to to bring up in the ESG realm is, you know, there is a new launch that will be uh, trading tomorrow, which is ESGH, which is our U.S. high-yield bond uh, ESG ETF. And I think this is a great time for, for this ETF in particular. You know, this ETF basically provides you that high yield bond exposure that you want in a portfolio, but also provides it in a more quality way. So basically, I look at it as a more quality high yield with about 6% shift from uh, B and triple C into double B. So you're you're, you're looking at a time where right now we're seeing credit spreads being as tight as they are, you know, some potential volatility uptick in the, in the fixed income market. You know, I look at it and say, look, if you want your high yield exposure, ESGH might be a great way to get that high yield exposure, get those benefits, but also have a quality tilt and have a little bit more higher quality portfolio to eliminate some of that higher beta downside risk that you would see with, you know, with a lot of these zombie companies that were able to raise capital in, in March, April, and May. So you're kind of eliminating that, that downside risk there, maintaining your high yield exposure. And I definitely think it's something to think about and should be on your radar as, uh, as it starts trading tomorrow. And Mark, maybe I'll just chime in as well there um, briefly on, on the equity side. But really overall, I think, you know, you, you asked a good question there, um, you know, 
there's clear interest uh, in responsible investing from clients and from end investors. And, you know, we've seen a, an explosion of offerings um, across the street, both in Canada and the U.S. over the last year or so. And as Matt said, um, you know, a lot of assets flowing in that direction. Um, but how's the reception been with advisors? I think, you know, it's actually really challenging for advisors to understand um, how it does fit into a client's portfolio. You know, it, it's easy to listen to the client and say, I want this, put this into my portfolio. But as an advisor, um, you know, understanding how is that going to impact the exposures within the portfolio? How, what different risks might I be taking on here as I'm building this client's portfolio? So I think, you know, coupled with the fact, like I said, there's been an explosion of, of different funds and offerings um, uh, being listed in the ETF space. Um, you know, those advisors really need a lot of help understanding what's the difference between this ESG fund and that ESG fund and what makes it ESG, right? And so I think, um, you know, we've put a, a lot of effort into, um, you know, the education front in terms of here's our ETF offerings. You know, Matt mentioned a couple on the fixed income side, and we have, um, you know, several that we've offered uh, with MSCI indices on the equity side as well. Um, and, you know, we're really putting a, a foot forward in terms of explaining how these portfolios are built, um, what makes them ESG, uh, what companies are we choosing, but also how is the exposure relative to, you know, the, the plain vanilla ETFs that are out there. And I think our goal has been to provide a, a very similar exposure in terms of sectors and in terms of diversification and, and risk control um, relative to the core broad beta benchmarks that are out there. And so, you know, you asked about performance and, you know, in, in most cases, actually in all cases on the equity side, you know, performance has been in line or better over the last year or so than those broad beta benchmarks. And I think that's really the key for advisors is understanding that you are actually um, with our suite of uh, ESG ETFs here, you are actually getting a similar type of exposure than you would using our regular um, plain vanilla building blocks. Um, and so, you know, being able to lean on that fact, but still having that ESG lens and that ESG tilt while, while building portfolios makes it one step easier, I think, for advisors to, to meet that client demand. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for that answer. I think, uh, you know, maybe unlike previous iterations, it certainly feels like ESG is here to stay. And that's really coming from a thought that uh, it, it really is being client driven. So advisors that are starting to look at them, starting to consider them within portfolios, I think are, are staying a step ahead of the crowd. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 35 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at the BMO MSCI Emerging Markets Index ETF ticker ZEM, a hard-to-ignore global strategy that allows investors to truly diversify from traditional domestic and U.S. equities. Ask uh, one more uh, before we go to the lines. Uh, we've been vocal in the past on these calls about um, increasing allocations to emerging markets uh, using our EM ETF ZEM, can you give us an update on both performance, but probably more importantly, your continued outlook? Thanks. Sure. And in, in the EM space, there really is, you know, two things to consider. First, there's China, 
Um, and then, and then there's everyone else and those other countries, you know, including Taiwan, South Korea, India are kind of the, the other major countries, but, you know, China really making up a good chunk of that EM allocation. It's about one third of the index and one third of the ZEM ETF. And so you really want to get a handle on, um, you know, what's my China exposure and what do I want it to be? Um, and, you know, just looking back at the past year and then of course, looking forward as well, um, you know, obviously China was the first one to really move past um, lockdowns and, and and reopen their economy in, in a, in a uh, I guess, reasonable fashion in, in terms of being able to provide economic growth. I think China was the only major country that had positive GDP growth in 2020, and they're certainly positioned to to lead in growth in 2021 as well, as they are a little bit further ahead than other major economies in terms of their reopening and moving past um, you know, the, the virus-related lockdowns. And so I think, you know, the, the, the go-forward outlook for China is still very strong. They, they did lead, again, in performance last year. Um, I think China led all, all major markets in terms of equity market returns. But again, going forward, we think there's still a, a strong um, element of growth that, that China can provide going forward as well. Um, and going back to, you know, a little bit of what I was talking about with Canada, um, versus the U.S., you know, valuations are a little bit better. And so in emerging markets, a lot of that holds true as well. Valuations, um, somewhat reasonable in a lot of places. Obviously, emerging markets and co- uh, cover a lot of different areas, but the valuations in general are still very reasonable. Um, and there is a certain element of, of the EM economies that are tied to commodity growth as well. And so you get a similar story there um, with some of those uh, commodity-related countries and companies uh, benefiting from global growth. At the same time, we have a low low U.S. dollar right now, and that tends to benefit emerging markets as well, because emerging markets in general, you know, they borrow in U.S. dollars. Um, and so, you know, as the U.S. dollar weakens, that that reduces their, their borrowing, the burdens on their borrowing. And so, um, you know, emerging markets right now have a pretty good setup in terms of the macro landscape uh, in terms of going forward. Now, uh, again, it's it's China and then it's, it's everywhere else. And, and so, you know, I think adding some EM exposure, you want to make sure you, you are adding a broader diversified um, emerging market fund. And so I think ZEM is, is, a, is a good way to do it. You know, again, China still is a, a big portion of that. It's about one third. Um, but there are a lot of other countries in there, Taiwan, South Korea, India, as I mentioned, as, as the other top um, allocations. Um, and they, they do all provide um, that growth aspect to them and, and not just commodities, but some of those technology related companies as well. There's a lot in the U.S. that have done well. There's also a lot in China and South Korea as well that, again, might have a bit more reasonable valuations in some cases. And so I think you're diversifying away from the U.S. and you're also diversifying, you know, those benefits we were talking about with Canada by adding that EM exposure. So we still like um, the way EM looks, again, performance has been very strong in the last year, but we think that's going to continue going forward as well. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to see that that consistency of uh, our market calls and, in fact, how they've been, uh, they've been pretty bang on um, as we've been doing these podcasts. So with that, I do want to check if there are calls on the line for Chris and Matt. Hi, good morning, guys. Um, thank you for your insights this morning. Just curious to know your thoughts around uh, the low ball space. These are some of my core holdings and positions in the, in portfolios. And I, I want to just 
better understand what a good paired trade could be alongside those for future growth through the uh, the next half of uh, 2021. Sure, and certainly low vol ETFs, you know, doing their part in terms of limiting downside risk is, is the main thing that, that they provide there. So, you know, if you're looking on the other side of the equity equation, if you're looking for that growth element, you know, I, I would say, you know, shorter term, you could still see some some movement up in the value um, sector and the value factor. Um, that's one area that's performed very, very well um, since November, since that sort of reopening trade, that rotation started to take place. You know, value actually has very strong, you know, torque um, with that with that reopening trade and with that um, global growth trade. And so I think, you know, from a pure um, really strong growth potential. I think value still has a bit of way to go. Now, if you are thinking more about, you know, I think you mentioned long-term holdings. Um, I think that value opportunity is probably a bit more short-term. It probably is, you know, over the uh, the next six to nine months or so, you, you could see some growth there. But as a long-term um, pair to those low-vol ETFs, I really think the quality factor is really the, the best sort of buy and hold type strategy that you can pair with the low vol. Um, you know, we've done a lot of studies on uh, pairing our U.S. low vol ZLU with our U.S. quality ZUQ. And if you do a 50-50 blend of those, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get that growth potential from the quality, but you get the downside protection from the low vol as well. And what you actually end up with is a portfolio that's um, lower volatility than just the low vol by itself because they do pair up so well. Um, and so I think as a long-term buy and hold to pair with that low vol, I think quality makes a lot of sense. I mentioned ZUQ in the U.S. We also have ZEQ uh, for European exposure or ZGQ, which is actually a global exposure. So those are, I think, some of the places you would want to look uh, to pair with low vol for the long term. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I have a question specific on fixed income. And just uh, I'm looking to build out basically a diversified, you know, fixed income portfolio at the moment, uh, taking ESG into consideration, uh, maybe global. I really want to reduce my costs also and not so much focus on, on income generation, but capital preservation and total return is important uh, at the moment. I uh, really want to hear your thoughts, Matt, on, uh, on which way you would go. Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. So um, I think it's important to look right now, and as, as we were saying before, I think it's right now we're, we're in a, uh, a very unique time and, and uh, with, with how steep the yield curve is. And uh, I think around also some uncertainty as to, you know, as the economy reopens, how quickly will the central banks be able to raise rates uh, to a level that, that are a little bit more normalized than we're currently seeing. Um, you know, looking at the overall um, universe, I still, like I, as I had said earlier in the call, I still view Zag as um, a core holding that is uh, a great um, core piece of your portfolio that will help you navigate through some turbulent times that I think we're, we're going to see in 2021 as as kind of this whole last uh, ditch of the uh, pandemic kind of um, uh, comes to fruition. Uh, so I do look at that and, and I look at uh, overall, you know, that still has a lot of government exposure, you know, from which, which would be, uh, you know, ESG friendly. 
And then if you want to complement some ESG in there, I would, you know, put in uh, that new ESG H, which is that high yield, where I think, you know, if you put five or 10% of your portfolio, you can over, you can reduce your overall portfolio volatility uh, by having that kind of uncorrelated uh, asset class to a, a traditional fixed income. So I would look at, at, at that way to add ESG on the periphery of my fixed income. And then if you were looking at, at as you mentioned, global, I think, you know, providing, getting exposure to the U.S. market, um, which may see a quicker recovery than we may see in Canada, just given the breadth of their um, their economy and the breadth of the um, industries that, that they uh, may have. I think ESGF, which is the full-term uh, ESG corporate bond ETF, might be a, a good uh, way to play the U.S. market and U.S. credit uh, versus your more traditional full universe. So I think those are those are a nice way to have those three nice pillars to to uh, have your core and a little bit of your periphery of your fixed income portfolio, two of which are explicitly ESG, so you should satisfy most of their needs. And then that core, uh, although not explicitly ESG, you're still going to get um, you know the non-ESG exposures from the corporate side. You know, 70% of your portfolio is still going to be in the government, which would be traditionally viewed as, as you know, more ESG um, centric. So I think as a whole, if you're looking at, at making sure that ESG views and your beliefs are, are sending through your fixed income allocation, I think those three, ZAG, ESGH, and ESGF would be uh, a nice way to, uh, to provide that, uh, that solution. That's great, Matt. So where would, where would that put me from a duration perspective? And so what are your feelings on duration right now? Should I be short, mid, or what's your thoughts on that? So that would give you about a, about a seven, uh, seven, just in around seven year duration. So, you know, I think in, in, a, in a vacuum, I think as rates, you know, you would expect rates to go up and we're seeing uh, some steepening. I think in a vacuum, I think that does seem maybe a little bit long, but, but I am concerned about the rest of your portfolio and that equity market volatility. So I do think a little bit of duration risk in your portfolio does um, help ride that wave and, and, and help stabilize as an equity market hedge. So, you know, overall, I think I would try to target maybe to, toward a uh, – toward a, a duration of, of maybe around five years, five, six years in terms of the mid, you know, that just off the top of my head, that, that three uh, ETF portfolio probably has a duration around seven. So you could always layer in uh, some uh, short exposure, if it's a short universe, short corporates, depending on your view there, to, to lower that overall duration. But I still view that duration is a benefit within a portfolio context, just, to, just as an equity market hedge. So I wouldn't want to go super, super short, um, but I would probably be targeting that, you know, five to six year uh, duration range. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. Uh, and of course, thanks to both Chris and Matt uh, for your insights, for your updates on markets and positioning ideas around uh, the ETF shelf. With that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you to Chris McKinney, Matt Montemuro, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. 
Today's episode was for advisors looking for reasonable valuations and strong growth potential, providing solutions home and abroad. In Canada, consider the BMO S&P TSX Cap Composite Index ETF, ticker ZCN. For opportunities beyond North America, look to an emerging market strategy like ZEM. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.